0: This is Lewis Lapham for Lapham's Quarterly, and this is The World in Time. Lead support for this podcast has been provided by Elizabeth Lizette Prince. Additional support was provided by James J. Jimmy Coleman, Jr. Speaking today with the prize-winning British editor and author, Alan Russell Bridger, about his new book, Breaking News, The Remaking of Journalism, and Why It Matters Now. I look to your book, Alan, as to light in the darkness. How do we tell the difference between the real and fake news? All parties on all sides of the argument in the American media these days, on Facebook and Twitter, on Fox News and in the New York Times, accuse one another of trampling out the vintage where the grains of truth are stored. Draw on your experience as editor-in-chief of Britain's Guardian News and Media From 1995 to 2015, where and how do we bridge the gulf between the old and new media? Do the grains of truth still exist? Well, I hope so. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm looking for you to tell me how we find
1: them. So I think you have to preface everything by saying we're about five minutes into a revolution in communication that's going to last Um, uh, the next 200 years so what I tried to do in this book was to describe a period of tumultuous change in which a society that had been arranged I'm using a visual metaphor vertically so if you had a printing press you were in some senses above your readers and you would hand down the equivalent of a tablet of stone to them and say this is the truth and nothing but the truth They would hand out their money, and they had no way of testing that proposition, really, uh, most of them. Uh, And that put newspapers in an immensely powerful position. And, by the way, they could make lots of money as well. And within the space of ten years, the world, it seems to me, has moved to a horizontal plane in which four billion people can now talk to each other uh, and exchange their versions of truth the economic model that supported the people on the in, the in the old news business is disappearing. And journalists are working out how they can persuade the public that the role they used to have is still the role that they should have in future. And it's not clear to me whether this is going to be a story that ends happily or sadly, but I thought it was important
0: to try and record that moment. Well, I mean, that moment, it, 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 the, your twenty years as editor in chief, nineteen ninety five two thousand fifteen, are extraordinary, disruptive mm. change. I mean, and you were you tried many different uh, approaches. I think, I mean, mm. as I read your book, uh, as the editor faced with the problems of the new technology, faced with the problem of how do we fund um, internet journalism without advertising and and so on? Do, do you want to talk about some of the big problems that you addressed as you moved along across those 20 years? Well, think of them as three
1: different categories that are obviously all related. So one of them is technological. So uh in 1995, we dealt with printers. Um, we had we had moved beyond the age of hot metal, but nevertheless, we were that we, we, it was a technology of printing. By 2015, uh, we were in the age of the mobile phone, and we were in the hands of people who had a completely different background. And as editor, it was unlikely that you were going to be in the forefront of understanding any of that. And about the time that you began to understand the internet, somebody would walk into your room and say, there's now something called Web 2.0, which which is the social web. Uh, And there's this thing called Twitter and this thing called Facebook, and this is going to impact you, uh, on you in ways that you can't understand. So that, that was the technological story. There was the economic story of watching all your revenues disappear out of the building and trying to do all this extra digital stuff which was costly to do uh while revenues might be down 20 30% year on year and the third bit was the editorial bit so was the job essentially the same we the, the age old job of of verifying things and telling people this is true that's not true and and writing articles and and publishing once a day how, how was that changed by the fact that the readers could now not only answer back, but in some sense didn't need you? They they, they were they were they had multiple sources of information, which were for most of them was, were were good enough. Uh, on one level, there were the obvious things that you were now working in video and and graphics and doing what we're now doing, which is which, talking in audio. So these were new skills, but the biggest one was this question of were the readers still the passive audience and the passive recipients? Or was the fact that they could uh, challenge you and talk about everything on different platforms, was that going to change the the editorial form uh, that you had been used to for 200 years?
0: Well, you, you were a, you started your career in the 70s as a, Reporter for a regional newspaper in England, in Cambridge. With the skills that you had then, could you be hired today by, <laughs> by, a, by, by let us say, the Guardian? Mm-hmm. for its, I mean, the Guardian today is 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 one of the biggest uh, digital suppliers of news in the world. Mm-hmm. Is that not true? Yeah. And and you are uh, responsible for creating that. I mean, shifting the emphasis uh, over your 20 years from print to digital. that fair? Yes. So that is the, the future of, of journalism is probably uh, more digital than print. Is that true? Uh,
1: I'm, I'm, overwhelmingly. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I was going to say I fear because I, I like print, but, I, but I, I think that's true, yes.
0: So in 10 or 20 years now, I mean, what it, most of the profit i told being made by the New York Times today is from its digital uh, operation rather than from its print. Is that true? I, I, I imagine that probably is true. And
1: I know The Guardian, I think this year, said that for the first time the digital revenues had just overtaken the print revenues. So that seems to me...
0: Inexorable. That's
1: that's just what's that's the pattern of the future.
0: Is there a different way of writing for digital than for print?
1: Well, I think
0: there is in
1: a couple of respects. So one is um, as as we talk, there's a there's a debate going on in the House of Commons about the future of Brexit and. We have a a really brilliant writer who does a live blog. So he he is uh, he is aggregating material f- from elsewhere. He's commenting on it. He's contextualizing it. He's he's pulling in the quotes. He's saying if you go over to the Spectator or the Telegraph, they're saying this. He's putting in pictures. That's a completely new way of of telling a story, and it's usually the most. Popular thing on the website each day. So, this business of following things in real time through the spine, through the narrative spine of one person pulling multiple sources together rather than writing a 800 word account. So, there are skills like that which are new. And then, secondly, there is this business of what you do about the response. So, there was a time when you pressed the button to print an article. Um, and that was the end of it. You know, It would appear on the breakfast tables the next day, and it didn't really have an afterlife. What happens now is the moment you press the button to publish digitally, responses start coming in, and people start challenging and adding and correcting, uh, and uh, it's almost the beginning of the story instead of the end. And you ask me, with the skills I had on the Cambridge Evening News, could I survive today? Well, I think all young reporters now live in this horizontal world, uh, having conversations about pieces they have published or will publish, uh, or considering the responses to. So it becomes something that is that lives in a different time frame from the idea of something that was published once and then... Uh, was basically read for a day.
0: But to keep up with that story, it would be almost a full-time occupation, not only for the writer, but also for the reader. I mean, if I was going to hope to find out what was the news and what was going on in the world, as a reader, I mean... Would I then be expected to, to follow this, this whole series of threads and, and additions and tweets? I mean, I would be able to do nothing else. I mean, it's like yeah. James Joyce uh, once said that um, anybody who really wants to understand his work has to devote his or her entire life to reading and rereading Joyce and I couldn't bear it. I mean, I mean I read his earlier books, but I mean the uh, I, I I was unwilling to grant the uh uh <laughs> I was unwilling to devote my life to mm. to the mm. the writing of James Joyce. But so who is the reader that that you uh, who was the reader for the uh that we are trying to reach um, today? I mean who is that person? I mean, I mean, th- when we talk about the public, I mean, there are many publics, right? I mean, th- there are readers for this kind of thing and that kind of thing, and so on. I mean, how, I mean, who is your audience? I mean, what is the audience for the for the uh, combined form of old new? new old news and and, and new news? Well, I suppose the answer is there are multiple
1: audiences that that didn't exist for us before. So when I took over The Guardian, its circulation was about 400,000, which made it relatively small in British terms. And it's now in the region of 160 million browsers. So the scale is vast. So you're quite right to say some people would not have the time or the patience to follow a live blog about British politics. And for them you would obviously write a summary at the end of the day and, and a, uh, you, know, you would do some of the things that we used to do in print. But I was just looking at my phone as you were talking and not only has our reporter um, blogged numerous times about this extraordinary day that's going on in, in the British Parliament today, but I'm seeing that nearly 12,000 people have commented on it. So this is, we, we may think these are strange people who <laughs> should have better things to do with their time. But nevertheless, this is a very engaging thing for people to, to be responding and talking amongst themselves as the news is happening
0: on, on the Guardian website. And, and, and that news, and they're talking among themselves is going up on your website. Yeah. In real time. In real time. So that's, so that's 12,000. There are 12,000 12, comments 000 that comments. I could now read. Yeah.
1: And, and your point is. How do I. You, you could never have the do time do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm as puzzled as you are, but, but nevertheless, um, because in an age of metrics, you can now measure everything who is reading what, where do they live, how long are they reading it for. We can objectively say that, that 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 will be the most popular thing on the Guardian website today. So um, I don't know what these people are doing when they should be working or sleeping, but nevertheless, people are find this a good way of. So you have a deci- you have a decision as a publisher as an editor. Yeah. You say, well, um, it's interesting that people want to do that, but I can't imagine who they are, and I don't want to serve them. Um, and uh, I would rather wait till the end of the day and, and give them a summary. And, and there's a market for those kinds of websites too. Part, part of this is driven by economics. So if you're an editor and you've got hundreds of thousands of people who do want to follow the news on their mobile phones as it's happening, I mean, it is a particularly you know, gripping day in Parliament. It's a very important day, so I'm not surprised that people are following it and that's going to build your audience to 160 million, and you need that 160 million people in order to be able to go to the advertisers and say, look, we have all these readers, then uh, it's quite... It would be brave to say, well, actually, that may be popular, but we're just going to write a a, a thousand words at the end of the day summarizing this because that's the most useful thing because there will probably be a much smaller
0: audience for that. Are you... uh Competing, I mean, you're 150 million readers on on your international. Do you consider yourself in competition with, say, Facebook
1: or Google?
0: uh, (laughs) This dreadful word, frenemies. Um,
1: um, I mean, they are both our friends because they are the most incredible distribution network and they can amplify your voice and spread the guardian around the world to a, 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 an audience that the guardian could never have imagined it would reach so there are friends but there are enemies because they then suck off a vast very high proportion of the advertising 70 80% they they will then take and there's something about particularly facebook of, of of appearing in a sort of facebook news feed which in a way strips the identity out of out of um away from the news publisher so you become a series of individual pieces of content horrible word um without the context of what the guardian is or right. stands for in, in other
0: words So how do you make money with this? (laughs) I mean, you have what I think in your book you call reach. Mm. But does reach bring with it revenue? Well, that's the aim. Um,
1: And in a sense, two minutes into the revolution, it's too early to say. But, But there's no, I was going to say there's no revenue without reach. That's not quite true, but... In a world in which advertising is worth pennies rather than pounds, it, you don't need to be hugely talented at maths to know that you have to have a much yeah. bigger audience in order to have any chance of of, um, of sustaining it, partly through advertising.
0: Have you solved that problem yet? I mean, I mean has The Guardian solved that problem, or well, is The Gar- Guardian still... I mean, I know at one point mm-hmm. with with the Guardian it was making money. Is mm-hmm. is that still true? No,
1: it's, it's losing money. And mm-hmm. um, it, although it says, uh, it, I mean, I I now read because I'm no longer there, but they say they're going to break even this year. Oh. and they have an amazing endowment. They have a billion dollars, uh, more than a billion dollars in the bank. But the the thing that we started. Uh, Run right about 2014, was going to the readers and saying, look, there are two ways that we can imagine you paying for The Guardian. One is to treat it as a kind of private good, so you pay us for the right to read something at, to the exclusion of other people. So I, I want to be able to read it here, but I don't want anybody else to read it. Or we can ask you pay, to pay for it in order for it to be available to everybody in the world. And Guardian readers were very unkeen on the first model and very keen on the second model. It's essentially a philanthropy model. So they say accurate, truthful news is so important to to government and law and science and a good society. We are prepared to finance the Guardian, not so that we can read it privately, but as a public good. And that seems to me a, a rather amazing thing for a group of readers to decide and there's a million of them now doing that
0: it occurs to me that that that, that, that is the possible future model for what you call uh civic minded journalism in other words i mean we have now amazon backing the washington post mm-hmm. and i forget who is now backing uh, the, the paper in boston another Mm. billionaire and then we just have somebody in in uh, California buying mm. time magazine i mean maybe th- is that a model similar to the bbc
1: well i think i mean the idea of, of billionaires owning newspapers i suppose that's not a new idea um and you know um bezos seems to me a rather better billionaire than conrad black or or um Rupert Murdoch, uh, because he seems not to want to use the the post for, for influence. The BBC is, is really a form of taxation uh, for a public good. Uh, that seems to be a, a great model um, for, for p- providing really great journalism. There's a sort of foundation model in which foundations, um, I mean, we took a lot of money from Bill Gates to cover Africa, which we wouldn't have been able to do uh, had Bill and Melinda not given us some money. And then there's the readers, um, which is... So I think we're moving away from... I think we at least have to consider the possibility that that the old model may not work, this accidental gluing together of advertising and news, yeah. which, you know, there's no reason why they particularly belong together and they're, they're subtly floating apart. If that's true and if society still needs accurate news and people who can say that's true, that's not true then we have to think about really news as a public service like an ambulance service or a police service and how we finance that is a question we ought to start discussing
0: But wasn't that the way that the Manchester Guardian originally was set up? Uh,
1: Not exactly, I mean it was set up at a time, you know in the Industrial Revolution when advertising um, you know very profitable mill owners would would advertise in the Manchester Guardian and and uh, and that was a much more significant source of revenue than the readers themselves Um, but if that advertising is going I mean the, the extraordinary thing about the Manchester Guardian was the Scott family in 1936 saying instead of becoming billionaires ourselves we're going to put it into a trust so that no one can ever influence it it's never going to be very profitable if it does make profits we'll plow the money back into the business I think that is an interesting model for the future it's basically saying we put the mission of journalism before the profits we may never make profits Um, and that may be true in the future that that journalism will never make profits Um, certainly not on the scale that it, it used to
0: well, it, it's it's the model on which I have set up my own magazine, a uh, Lapham's Quarterly, mm-hmm. which is a, a quarterly. It's history, but I mean, it's it's a foundation that happens to have a magazine. It's not a magazine that mm-hmm. is backed by a foundation. But the the uh, but then that brings up the question: in the future, is, are you going to have one uh, kind of News, information, for the rich, and another for the poor. I mean, because one way or another, if you want to have uh, uh, the kind of journalism that you produce and believe in, it, that costs money. Yes. I, well, I mean, I suppose the the Guardian model. Is a model
1: that makes news universally available. Yes, I know that. And, and the BBC too. Yes, I know that. So there is the the, the problem with commercial paywalls, um, and uh, you know I'm not ideologically against them, but but we have to accept that this is the problem. That that that's that's what you're describing. If if you're the two percent of Americans who buy the New York Times, then that leaves ninety eight percent of Americans who don't buy the New York Times. Um, yeah. And they have to make do with whatever information some of some of it may be perfectly adequate some of it will undoubtedly be true sometimes maliciously untrue and um, maliciously untrue and i think we see that we're beginning to see where that leads in societies if 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 populists and people with simple messages and untrue messages can flood the zone while journalism says, well, look, we're going to sit over there in, in this zone over here, then you can begin to see electorally, not just in
0: America, where that leads. Has there been a falling off of, you know, in, in, in the public at large, or as far as we can tell from questions and polls, a falling off of uh, trust in journalists or in journalism... As a profession or as a, 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 a an art form, the the broad picture is yes.
1: Uh, there's a company called Edelman that publishes a what they call a an annual trust barometer, and this year they said that the media were the least trusted institution of all. And I mean there there are li- there are little c- counter indications, so I think. Papers like The New York Times and the Washington Post that have done well on the on the Trump story have won the respect of their readers and and revenues from their readers so there are individual newspapers that uh that are bucking the trump, but in general people don't trust journalists um, right and that's pretty much always been true right it's always been true, but it's never been as bad as today. And that's that's sort of, it's interesting to ask why, because y- you might think in an age in which we might all accept that there's a certain amount of information chaos, well, not a certain amount, there's there's a flood of information chaos in the world that people would want to retreat to the safety of journalism. But, the, but there is something about that old vertical world that people don't trust. And I, I think it's... I think journalists ought to think harder about why that is.
0: Well, I mean, I remember Kierkegaard once said that uh, if his daughter left home and became a prostitute and if she repented, he would accept her back. But if a son became a journalist, (laughs) he would never accept him back. I mean, so the... the, the, uh, suspicion of journalists is 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 old news
1: yes well i mean so one of the things i mean that, uh, brexit is almost uh may, may be of very little interest to american readers it's of, of no it is listening. i mean brexit it,
0: go on about well brexit. so
1: the brexit uh, you know by the time the brexit debate happened i was not editing i was a civilian and I thought this is a very complicated story. What I want of newspapers to do is to give me both sides, and then in the classic John Dewey Lippman debate, you know, well, I'll be a better informed citizen, and I will make a better democratic choice. What newspapers actually did was most most of the newspapers in Britain bellowed, shrieked, bullied, cajoled, screamed using their front pages saying you only have one choice here we have to get out yeah. and they've been re- essentially building up to that for 10 years now two years later we're at a constant moment of constitutional crisis because it is so complicated this question that parliament is incapable of passing a form of brexit that anyone will agree so i think the average reader will look back on all those front pages and say, "Well, you were telling us a lie. You said this was easy. You, you said there were no no advantages to being in the European Union." And that conversation is taking place on social media. You know, there are millions of people saying, "This is this is a disaster," and we were not told the truth. So, that ability of people to talk, which has never existed in history before. Is the thing that that journalists have got to realise that, that I, I think they have to start speaking in a different voice and and not not speaking the language language of of uh, simplicity. They have to return to the craft of what journalism m- originally was, which is reporting.
0: But there also has to be craft, uh, I think. I mean. On the part of the reader, I mean, it 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 comes down in the end, I think, to the to the uh, a reader who's willing to take the trouble uh, to try to think for himself or herself, read more than one newspaper, read period, you know, and 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 try to work out the 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 the. the uh, Truth for himself. I mean, a citizen is—it's—it's it's, got to be participatory. I mean, you—you you, you can't. Uh, the truth makes men free, possibly, but it—it—it's not given to you for nothing. I, you, I mean, I, you have to work for yeah, it. I'm not—I'm um, ta- not talking about uh, paying I, for it. I'm um, talking about working for it. I—I I couldn't agree more, and I think
1: we can't let. Citizens, readers, customers, um, off. Um, that you know they are part of the problem, and everybody who ever retweets something that they haven't checked or know yeah. to be true is is part of the problem. They're they're spreading false information, and I I do think we have to begin quite young with with children who are you know whose entire lives are digital, and help them to understand. What evidence means, what sources mean, mm-hmm. how you can tell what's
0: tr- true and what's not true. Yes, what 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 part? Because in any newspaper or any news story, uh, no matter how, when what platform is delivered, there are elements of truth, there are elements of rumor, there are elements of what may be true or may not be true. I mean, there the. It's not easy to to uh, separate the wheat from the chaff in, in in really almost any one account. No, and and I think
1: I think it's it's an interesting thing about that after two hundred years of journalism, which itself is a very vague word, we can't really agree amongst ourselves what what the craft of journalism. Is so, I mean, m- many American journalists believe in something called objectivity or impartiality. Believe in what? Objectivity. I don't. No, but <laughs> for, for, but, 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 but many you know, of us do. I, I know that. Do. Yeah, most British journalists don't believe in objectivity. Um, uh, so we can't really begin to decide amongst ourselves whether there is a, a craft or a system that we can apply to try and produce the truth. The the. Fox News is journalism, the New York Times is journalism, the Daily Mail is journalism, the Financial Times is journalism, but they all have very different ideas of what journalism is or what the public interest is or the methods they use or the ethics they adhere to. So if you're going out at this moment of crisis to the public and saying, look, look, we can save you, we're journalists, um, we have this system <laughs> for obtaining the truth... Um, you can understand why the public are a bit confused and say okay tell me more um because uh i'm i'm not convinced that there is one word called journalism that 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 is so much better than than the other systems of information that have appeared in the last 10 years
0: but again if if i'm reading what what i think you're saying is that um, the truth is there. I mean, truth is. Well, facts are there. It, it, facts are yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, what they mean is is something else. That I mean, that's not a fact. I mm-hmm. mean, there there are people who can write more intelligently along those lines than others. I mean, I'm. Rather read the columnists in The Guardian than I would in Fox News because i they make more sense to me, but that but what you come out with with at least as I read the your last chapter uh, not it's not hopeless it's it's possible and and the news is maybe broken but it's not uh finished and that what you're trying to do by combining the old media with the new media the vertical with the horizontal elements of both is to supply the reader with the best means possible of getting at the truth is that right
1: yes i i, th- I think I suppose what i'm I'm trying to do is to encourage journalists to think that there are new ways of getting at yeah. the truth um, and um, it would have been an easy book to write to say journalism is great, social media is awful, and um, you know that's partly true, but it's not completely true and one of the things I like about social media is that I find people negotiating their way to truth through conversation so they, they you, you typically find on Twitter somebody not saying here is something trust me because I'm me or because I work for this paper it's it's usually here is something and here is the link that proves it or here is a screenshot uh, by the way tell me if I'm wrong respond to me correct me and I will I will will have something that will progress towards the truth through this kind of conversation. That seems to me a a good way of building trust in a world in which if you simply hand down your printed newspaper with your
0: big Brexit headline people are not going to trust that any longer. But but do you make any selection as to which uh, of of the posts and comments and Tweets come in, th- appear, or, or do they? Yeah, do they I, all appear?
1: No, well, I, I follow too many people, but I, I follow people I respect.
0: Yes. So I okay. Yes.
1: Yeah, so yeah. But quite a lot of them are not journalists. Quite a, you know, there are. I'm interested in climate change. I hope most people are, and you know, there are a lot of scientists who aren't journalists who I think I believe, and who. I don't have to think that I believe them because they they're, they're very good at providing evidence because that's what science So those think.
0: are the people that 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 show up in, in in my feed. Yeah. In 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 your print. Yeah. Well, that's I I used to do the same thing. as, as the the editor of Harper's Magazine. I would get letters from readers mm-hmm. and the the ones that I found seriously engaging the question I would answer. Mm. Uh, the ones that were from, you know, crazy denunciations of you what know, we would, you know, accusing me of being a commie or whatever, I, I wouldn't bother with it. So I, you make that same kind of Decision. Yeah,
1: it's really easy. You can just block them. Uh, you can, <laughs> yeah. If Somebody is is um, rude to you, or you think they're ignorant. You just you you filter them out of your out of your life. Um, I mean, you know, of course there are people who just follow hate-filled people, and, yeah. and there are people who just follow neo Nazis and racists, and and so. I mean, social media is just human life. There are good people and bad people. Uh, but I think, two minutes into this revolution we should we should think about what it 's doing that's good as opposed to just saying oh these these
0: people are stupid no that's so all is not lost <laughs> no I, I think
1: i think it's uh, i think it's an incredibly interesting time to be a journalist i mean it's 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 insecure um There are terrible, terrible problems to solve, and you have to be very dedicated to be a journalist. But what an amazing time to to be able to sit down and rethink these gigantic sort of questions, some of them almost philosophical questions that we've been talking about this afternoon.
0: Well, we've discussed the first half of your subtitle, the remaking of journalism, mm-hmm. and now let's come to an end of the conversation with why it matters now. Mm. Why does it matter now?
1: Well, um, maybe we have Donald Trump to thank partly for this, but not yeah. just him. I, th- I think. I think as news news organizations die, and as Presidents lie. Um, people realize that without an agreed basis of facts, societies just can't work. Um, and so, th- there um, and w- and we're nearer to that point than at any point I think in the last two hundred years. Um, where I mean, this again comes through in in opinion polls now. At least half people now say they can't tell what's true and what's not true, and and two thirds of people say I, I can't tell what's a good source and what's a bad source. So we're in danger of of living in a world in which um, we've got no idea what's true. Um, but I think that you know that's but the depressing bit. And why why does this matter now? Because we we have to fix this. We can't we can't allow that to continue because otherwise. Societies can't progress,
0: but it's a matter of education, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's as well edu- educating the the uh, the public. I mean, uh, teaching people or allowing people to learn how to how to read. I mean, and 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 how to distinguish uh, between what's worth listening to and what's not. I mean that Trump is a liar seems to me to be pretty obvious. I mean, to us. can't we rely on, 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 on the uh, common sense of, of, of the public to know that he is lying? I mean, you, or you, you don't think so?
1: Well, you'd hope, wouldn't you? But uh, I uh, I suspect quite a lot of people... On, on ideological grounds at all, uh, alone, believe that actually he's he's telling us brave truths that the mainstream media and the liberals don't tell us. And that's really how those people work. You know, we'll, we're brave enough to tell you the stuff, they they, they will not And not many people, you know, talking of, you know, who's got the patience to look at a politics feed all day long, not many people have got the time or the patience or it's it's impossible i mean i in, in the introduction to the book i i try and track down one false tweet about a rape in sweden and it takes me two days to to get to the bottom of that before i am certain that that thing was untrue well n- nobody's got the time to do that journalists can't be expected to track down all falsities so it plays to your point that the responsibility has to lie on 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 citizens you know we we if, if you've got a problem of falsity on such a scale now, then the only response is for people to say, well, we, we must ourselves be custodians of the truth in some way.
0: All right. Well, well, I'm going to let you end there on, on, on a, what I consider to be a hopeful note. I, I, I am not uh, alarmed, but I don't think it's, it's, it's the end of the world.
1: Well, I'm alarmed too, and um, I think I agree.
0: You do think it's the end of the world. No, no, I no, I, I agree with <laughs> oh, you. It's not, okay. it's not the end of the world because I think it can't be. We can't allow it to be. Thank you, Alan Rusbridger, for talking to us today about your new book, Breaking News, the remaking of journalism and why it matters now. Lapham's Quarterly brings voices from the past up to the microphone of the present. Save more than 30% off the cover price and subscribe today. For only forty-nine dollars. Visit Lapham's slash podcast for more details.